Ever have someone try to lay a heavy guilt trip on you for not worshiping on Saturday? Is there really any truth to those claims that true believers worship on Saturday? Let's dig into the scriptures for answers next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Hello again. Thanks for stopping by. This is Abounding Grace, and in a moment I'll hand things over to Pastor Ed Taylor. He is in Hebrews right now, and as we turn back to chapter 4, the topic for discussion is the Sabbath. We're answering a series of questions surrounding the subject, like this one. Maybe you've wondered, why do most Christians gather on Sunday? Well, Pastor Ed is about to answer that for us in part 2 of The Sabbath and the New Covenant. The Sabbath day is known as the seventh day, but do you know what Sunday is known as? The first day of the week. Sunday, the first day of the week. And something extraordinarily significant happened on the first day of the week. Do you know what that is? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so from the very beginning of the early church, they began to worship on Sunday as a memorial remembrance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. When a day is mentioned in connection with the appearances of the risen Lord Jesus, it's always referred to as the first day of the week. You may not have noted this, noticed this, but in his appearances after his resurrection, it's always signified the first day of the week. John chapter 20, verse 19. John chapter 20, verse 27. Luke chapter 22, verse 19. Luke 24, verse 31. John 20, verse 20. John 20, verse 22. John 20, verse 23. Jesus was doing a lot of things after his resurrection that were noted in the Bible as being on Sunday. And Sunday is known as the first day of the week. And from some cases, it's also known as the Lord's Day. The first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's Day. And it seems as if Jesus, after his resurrection, was, a, was establishing a pattern and a precedent for worship. Yes, he did meet with Jews on the Sabbath. That's true. But that's exactly where you would find Jews worshiping on the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath was the sign of the covenant with the Jews. And there was in the early church like parallel worship times. Because of many of the early church, remember, we've learned this, but most of the early church saved in Jerusalem were Jewish. It wasn't until the persecution came where the gospel went outside, where, the, where everyone was scattered and they started leaving, where Paul began, uh, Peter left, and they began to take the gospel outside of Jerusalem, that where Gentiles were saved, non-Jews were saved. And as the Gentiles were being saved, there was much more emphasis on Sunday worship. In the early church, with this parallel worship going on, there was worship among the Jews on both the Sabbath and Sunday. And as the Gentile population of the church increased, the day of worship became Sunday primarily 
the Lord's day. It became the Lord's day. And as soon as I share this, you know, because when we have resurrection services, Easter services, the church is packed. We add services. Every service is pretty much packed. The parking lot is packed. And, and we're excited. We're celebrating Easter and the resurrection. But I try every year, and I try to remind us as a church that really we don't need one day of the year to celebrate the resurrection because literally our Sunday worship services are always a reminder of the resurrection. We celebrate the resurrection all the time. It is the very power of God, the very power of God to bring resurrection to Jesus Christ, the Bible says, empowers us. That you face anything in your life right now with the very power of God that resurrected Jesus Christ. What great strength that brings to our hearts, which leads us to question number four as we build this biblical case. Some will ask this, didn't the Roman Catholic Church, the Council of Laodicea, in the 400s under Constantine, didn't the Roman Catholic Church change the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday? The answer is, many of you probably don't know this, but the answer is no. What happened in the council of Laodicea is that Constantine gave forth an anti-Semitic edict outlawing Saturday worship. But at that time, there were already thousands upon thousands of Christian believers already worshiping on Sunday. But let me just say this. Let's just say for the argument's sake that the Roman Catholic Church and the Council of Laodicea did change the worship and we're worshiping on Sunday because of man's decision. Listen, just because a church makes a decision or a leader makes a decision doesn't mean you receive that if you haven't checked it in the Bible first. So even if they did change it, and they, even if they did change it, and we're going to worship on Sunday, listen, the Sabbath has never been changed. It will always be the seventh day. It hasn't been changed. Even if a, a, some edict comes forth, even if some leader said, even if there's some YouTube video that was put out, and they're, they're somehow trying to change it, according to the Bible, that is our final authority. Not some council, not some religion, not some church. The Bible says for us, my responsibility in teaching you the Bible is to teach you this. You and I are to test all things and hold fast to what is good. We're to test all things. But no, the Roman Catholic Church did not change the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Worshiping on Sunday began in the book of Acts. That's where we find the pattern for the early church, in the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, Now on the first day of the week, what's the first day of the week, church? It's also known as the Lord's Day. On the first day of the week, Sunday, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. What were people doing on the first day of the week? They were continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in prayer, in the breaking of bread, and in coming together, studying the Bible. They were coming together for fellowship and koinonia. They were coming together to partake of communion and even share a meal together. They were doing that on the first day of the week. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, just a few years after the book of Acts. On the first day of the week, the first day of the week is what church? Sunday. It's also known as? Yes. The first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. The Lord's day is the first day of the week, which is also known as Sunday. There's already 
an establishment and a pattern of worship on Sunday because Sunday is significant in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and in his appearances after he rose again. Now, here's something for you to look at. In Acts chapter 15 was what is known as the first church council because by the time we get to the 15th chapter of the book of Acts, there is an explosion of salvation and people being saved and born again among Gentiles, non-Jewish people. I mean, it's just out of control. God is exploding upon the world, the known world at the time, where Gentile after Gentile are being saved. And the early church, there's a lot of tension between Jews and Gentiles, and the church convenes a council, a gathering of leaders to say, what are we supposed to do about this? What are we going to do with all these Gentiles? What do we need to make them do? What does it mean to be saved? And as they come together, there's a lot of arguing and a lot of opinion sharing. And James finally comes out and he establishes those necessary things. They weren't rules. They were saying, just have them do them and there'll be peace among us. When the first church council met in Acts chapter 15, trying to determine what the Gentile believers should observe, one thing that they did not lay on them was Sabbath keeping. They didn't say, hey, stay away from things of blood and things that are strangled and make sure they keep the Sabbath. Wasn't anywhere in their answer. It wasn't anywhere condemned. It's not even mentioned at all. You can read it for yourself in Acts chapter 15. The Holy Spirit told them not to lay upon the Gentiles any greater burden than those essentials. And Sabbath keeping was not the sign of the new covenant. And therefore, it was not to be imposed upon Christian believers. There is so much evidence of Sunday worship in the early church. But not just the early church, but also among a group of people known as the early church fathers. These were men that taught messages, pastors, leaders, elders, bishops of the early church, They taught messages, and they wrote letters. They weren't inspired of God, so that's why they're not a part of the Bible. But they wrote nonetheless. It just says that my messages are posted up on the internet. They're not inspired of God, but they're significant in the gift of pastor-teacher. And and so just just like today, they would write things. And do you know in the first couple hundred years of church history, we have example after example after example of Sunday worship. Again, those of you that are church history buffs, this will interest you. The Epistle of Barnabas, about A.D. 100. The Epistle of Ignatius, 107. The writings of Justin Martyr, 145. The Apostolic Constitutions, which was basically a book of church life in the second century. Irenaeus in 155. Pliny's Letter in 107. Clement of Alexander in 194. And even Tertullian in 200. They all mention and affirm Sunday worship. It's all throughout the church, even to this day. It's biblical, it's spiritual, and it's practical. We can worship on any day of the week. Imagine that, to misalign the character of God for someone to come alongside of you and you're walking out of a Sunday worship service and they're going to lay some heavy trip on you. What do you do in worship on Sunday? As if God would be looking at you today and saying, what are you guys doing? Why, don't you, why aren't you like your Saturday night friends at Calvary Aurora? Why are you, I don't accept your worship. You're worshiping on the wrong day. Can you imagine the heart of God that would come and judge you harshly and critically 
for you desiring to commune with him and enjoy him this Sunday morning. Or if you're hearing this on the radio at a later day, Monday morning or Tuesday morning or whenever it might be. May we be protected from those legalists and those that would want to bring us under some kind of bondage that is both unbiblical and untrue. Which brings us to the next question, number five. And that's a good question. Is the Sabbath taught in the New Testament for believers to keep, yes or no? You may be surprised, the answer is no. And this is the way it usually will be presented to you. Well, I don't know, I thought it was the 10 commandments, not the nine commandments. And you're like, well, I, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> I guess it is the 10 commandments. But I want you to listen here because of the 10 commandments, nine of them are moral reflections of the character of God. And one of them is a sign and a seal of the old covenant with the children of Israel. So consider this in the New Testament. Of the 10 commandments, nine of the moral character related commandments of God are repeated in the New Testament. So for example, number one, to worship the Lord God only. That's mentioned no less than 50 times in the New Testament. Idolatry, 12 times. Profanity or taking the Lord's name in vain, four times. Honoring your parents, six times. Murder, six times. Adultery, 12 times. Stealing, four times. False, being a false witness and a liar, four times. Covetousness, nine times. Keeping the Sabbath, zero. It's nowhere as an imposition for you to be right with God to keep the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, if you look through the various lists of sins in the world. And by the way, let me just be clear. The Bible says that we are all sin, and we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That, that is something true for all of us. None of us gets a free pass of God's judgment upon our lives. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, which should lead us to the conclusion to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God and ask him to forgive us and deliver us from our sin. Because sin, it's not bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. It destroys us. What appears to be something that we enjoy actually is like a spiritual cancer that is destroying our lives from the inside out. That the best way to live life is how God dictate, dic dictates to us, not our own. And, and if you're listening to me now, you know, God will allow you the freedom to live life as you desire to live. Understanding this full well, that whatever direction you live, you will either enjoy the benefits of obeying God or the consequences of disobeying God. There isn't a third option. And in the Bible, sin is mentioned on every turn. I mean, if sin wasn't such a serious thing, then why did Jesus Christ die on the cross? Why did an innocent man, God in human flesh, suffer an excruciating beating and torture to be hung on a Roman cross that was the type of death that was reserved for the worst of the worst people on the earth if sin wasn't serious, if it wasn't so destructive? Why would God, in his great love for you, send his son Jesus Christ if he didn't love you and care for you and want to deliver you from the shame and the guilt and the wrath that comes from God because of our sin. And you know there are a few places in the Bible that actually lists sins by name. I found four of them. You may find more, but I have four of them. And in the times that the New Testament lists sins, 
Sabbath breaking isn't one of them. In Mark chapter 7, 13 sins are listed. In Romans chapter 1, 20 sins are listed. In Galatians chapter 5, 15 sins are listed. And in 2 Timothy 3, 18 sins are listed. And none of those lists have Sabbath breaking or worshiping on Sunday as a sin. Nowhere in the New Testament. The key questions for those that believe and want to legalistically impose Sabbath worshipers, worship on believers is this, and really a few questions. Number one, why is it nowhere in the New Testament is it taught that the fourth commandment should be observed? Why is it that nowhere in the New Testament is failure to keep the Sabbath day condemned as a sin? Why is the fourth commandment itself not even repeated once in the New Testament? If Sabbath keeping is so important for a disciple of Christ, why doesn't Jesus teach about it in the Sermon on the Mount or any of his teachings? Why didn't Jesus command Sabbath keeping? Why didn't any of the apostles command Sabbath keeping? Why didn't even the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15 command Sabbath keeping as the way Gentiles should be right with God in New Testament worship? Every mention of the Sabbath in the book of Acts without a single exception is in direct connection with Jewish worship on that day and not referring to a new believer or a Christian celebration of the resurrection. Christian believers are under a new covenant and the sign of the seal of the new covenant is not the Sabbath. You know what the sign of the new covenant is? The bread and the wine. The broken body of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. That's the sign of the new covenant. It points to all-sufficient God and our desperate need for him. It points to his forgiveness. It points to his freedom. And that's why as a church we have communion regularly because we're never told in the Bible how often to have communion. So here at Calvary we have communion once a month in our larger gatherings on the weekend and every Wednesday night communion is available. We have it available every time we gather on Wednesdays so that we might be reminded of the broken body of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. That's the sign of the new covenant. Jesus says that himself when he says, and you can jot it down, Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now, and now on until the day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. The sign of the new covenant is the finished work of Jesus Christ, not our works. And as I've mentioned before, we're so grateful that we don't live under the old covenant that we didn't bring our precious little lambs to sacrifice today, that we won't have incense going up in front of the temple, but they were all shadows and pictures of who was to come, Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment. So that now by faith in him, as you enter into a faith relationship with God, we don't have a Sabbath day in the new covenant. We have a Sabbath God. By faith in Jesus Christ, you have fulfilled the law by the finished work of the cross and not your own works because you will never be able to fulfill the law. And it's in this new covenant with Jesus that we no longer observe the Sabbath because he himself is our rest. So I have a few scriptures to share before we go. Would you turn over to Colossians chapter two? 
Colossians chapter 2. And let's learn what the Holy Spirit teaches us to a predominantly Gentile church. Colossians chapter 2, pick up with me in verse 16. After giving such a great and grand explanation of the grace of God and the finished work of the cross, we come to verse 16 in Colossians 2 where it says, Therefore, let no one judge you in food or in drink. That would be all the dietary restrictions throughout Leviticus. Don't let anybody judge you on what you eat and what you drink. As long as it's not sinful, don't let anybody judge you. Or regarding a festival, or a new moon, and notice there, or Sabbaths. Why? Verse 17. Because they're a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. With Jesus Christ, you have the very substance of a relationship with God. So the festival refers to yearly Sabbaths. The new moon refers to the monthly Sabbaths. Sabbaths in general refer to the weekly Sabbath. They're all shadows of things to come. Exactly what Paul, I believe the author of Hebrews, is saying to the Hebrews. Don't go for the shadows. Don't go backwards. You have it all. By faith in Jesus, you have everything fulfilled. Don't go backwards. Don't go back to the shadows. So somebody comes up after the service last night who is a good friend of my friend, Pastor Bill Gim. Bill Gim is, grew up here in Aurora, and he pastors a Calvary in Amarillo, Texas, and he's out from time to time. And so he shared a story with her I thought was great when it comes to shadows. Bill and his now wife, Cindy, when they were dating, they went to the same legalistic Christian college. And so that college didn't allow them to do a lot of things. And one of the things that they were forbidden to do was touch each other. A boyfriend or girl, they couldn't hold hands. And so as they were in college and they didn't hold hands, they would walk together on the sidewalk and as they were walking together, they would put their hands in such a way where their shadows looked like they were holding hands. And so they want, I'm not touching, I'm not touching, I'm not touching. You know how your kids do to each other? Oh. So, but anyway, this is much better. Much better. I'm, my, my kids did that. I don't know about yours. So, so they're walking, they're walking together, and they, would, they were obeying the rules, but as they, had a, they were walking out in the sun, they were able to, to pretend, if you will, they were holding hands by the shadows. But once they left the school, and once they got married, they began to hold hands. And holding hands now physically, they would never go back to that little game that they had with the shadows. Because the shadows was pointing, one day, honey, we're going to hold hands. One day, honey, we're going to get married. One day, we're going to be able. But until then, we'll play the shadows. And never again. Now, I hope it's a true story. I'm going to text De Bill later today. If it's not a true story, now everybody thinks it is. So I'll correct it uh, at this afternoon. But I thought it was great because it's such a great picture. Now that you have the fullness of Jesus Christ, why in the world would you want to go back to the shadows? You have the fullness in him. Don't let anybody judge you the Holy Spirit says. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor has been in the book of Hebrews. We're going through the epistle from start to finish. To hear today's message again, go to AboundingGraceRadio.com. And we have a couple of apps we'd like to recommend that are free and available on all platforms. This is another way to listen to Pastor Ed's teachings, including this present series. Search for Calvary Aurora and download our church app and the Grace FM Colorado app as well. 
At Abounding Grace, we're committed to delivering God's Word to people all across the world, but we can't do it alone. We're very thankful for the listeners that come along beside us with financial and or prayerful support. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. And if you'd like to help us reach people with the love and truth of Christ, please visit AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Maybe you've noticed there's a battle going on in your mind. Maybe it's lustful thoughts that have been plaguing you for years and you don't know what to do about it. In Winning the War in Your Mind, author Craig Rochelle reveals strategies he's discovered to change your mind and your life for the long term. God has something better for you than your old ways of thinking. It's time to change your mind so God can change your life. Request the book, Winning the War in Your Mind, when you call 877-30-GRACE. Again, our phone number, 877-30-GRACE. Has Abounding Grace blessed you? We'd like to know. And it's easy to connect with us at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Leave us an email today. And then join us tomorrow on Abounding Grace when Pastor Ed Taylor returns to Hebrews. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.